this is the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and you're listening to the VOC Wrestling Nation Worldwide on VOCNation.com, baby. VOC Nation Radio Network, wrestling with history. We are worldwide at VOCNation.com, and we can be found anywhere that you get your favorite podcasts. So that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. The voice of choice, Bruce Word, Killer Ken Resnick. And Ken, I have a real treat because joining us today... He's unofficially part of our show. He'll be officially part of our show after January 1st. So after we get through the holiday season, joining us today to just take part for a few minutes is the legendary man. He's in 16 different professional wrestling hall of fames. He's known as the man behind the after magazines. I'm talking of course about the newest member of the VOC nation roster bill after my friend. It is so great to be, finally, the actor has returned to the VOC Nation. Yeah, it is so great because I remember when you were first starting the VOC Nation and I put you on OneWrestlingVideo.com and set up interviews and you, you grabbed that microphone and you went everywhere and you made such a great name for yourself. Uh, people in the business were calling me, who's this great new guy, et cetera. And I was happy to be part of the uh, original crew. And then I left and spread my wings a little bit. And you grew this into such a great VOC wrestling nation and so many other nations under the VOC nation umbrella. And I'm glad to be back wrestling with history, which is my specialty. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to have you back, Bill. And just for the people that don't know, I did sports radio in Philadelphia. And I, I met Bill at a charity event. We both uh, did some work for Showtime Charities. And uh, we both uh, served as MC, MC for that organization at different times. And we, we got to know each other. And essentially, long story short, my wrestling, my, my, my baseball show became a wrestling show because Bill used to join and then uh, we, we turned it into a wrestling show and Bill was part of the show. And for whatever reason, uh, we just kind of grew. I, th- I think time, times didn't work out after a while and, and Bill was doing one wrestling and we, we branched off and did VOC Nation and we left for about 10 years and here we are back together again. It's, well, it's I want to thank you because I want to thank you because once I had to uh, post the unfortunate demise of OneWrestling.com uh, after the death of my dear friend and the, uh, one of the two people who started OneWrestling.com, Bob Ryder, along with Joey Styles, um, one of the first phone calls I got was from you saying, would you like to rejoin the VOC nation? And uh, you sent me a contract, which I will be signing uh, very shortly, but uh, I am great, greatly appreciative of being back. And then when I heard 
that Killa Ken Resnick was part of this. I was like, can I do something with him as well? And then you said, wrestling with history. That's me and Ken. Here we are, Killer Ken. We got Bill Apter in the fold. Uh, you know, and I want to say this and I want to preface it by saying that this is a term that gets off used, but it's absolutely true. I mean, when you told me that Bill's going to be joining us, I, I was absolutely thrilled. Uh, I've known Bill, uh, it's hard to believe 35 years, yeah. uh, met him for the first time when he came in to photograph an AWA show at the St. Paul Civic Center. And Bruce, as you just mentioned, Bill is one of those guys, when you meet him, you immediately like him. And, you know, he, he was so well known and, and really almost the, the face of pro wrestling illustrated uh, I was thrilled to, to develop a, a friendship with him. And if anything, this solidifies, as Bill knows well, you never say never in wrestling. And Bruce, you and I have talked about it on a previous Wrestling With History. I always used to say my two claims to fame were I was a guest on Piper's Pit. And then when I had the chance to, to see Bill again at the big event uh, this past March in New York, I was a guest on After Chat, and I yeah. kind of said, you know, that's it. It's not going to get any better than being on Piper's Pip and being on the After's Chat. And now, lo and behold, I get to be on a podcast with Bill After. So you never wow. say never in wrestling because just when you think it, it's, it can't get you know, any better or in some cases any worse, it does. So I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm honored. The pleasure is all mine. And I also remember back in the AWA days when uh, uh, Vern and Greg decided to uh, uh, put me on their TV to do some of the old Pro Wrestling Illustrated press conferences that you were very supportive of me because a lot of uh, broadcasters, not just in the wrestling business, but in a lot of businesses, they would ruffle their feathers and, oh, why are they putting him on instead of me? You were always very supportive of me and everything I did when I was down there, Ken, and I really appreciate it. Uh, again, it, it was my pleasure, and, you know, I mean, and, and I've told this story, in fact, <clears throat> Bruce and I talked about it uh, way back. You know, you were, uh, and I didn't even find out till later, <clears throat> you know, I thought you were, like, the owner of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, oh, but you yeah, were certainly the, the certainly the face of pro wrestling illustrated and i still have it you know bill if you remember back in those days uh once a year pro wrestling illustrated would come out with the top 10 of just about you know everything in wrestling you know i i was thinking at some point there was going to be like a a top 10 of the best hot dogs at, at you know uh, wrestling shows but i remember leafing through it and when i saw the top 10 pro wrestling announcers one year and i was like eighth just the fact i made the list I, you know back in those days i didn't really save that much but i saved that page and i still have that page i you mean know why we, it, can you, you know why we never did that again <laughs> because i made the list and everybody said there goes all the credibility no other than <laughs> you almost everyone on that list complained that they weren't 
one, two, or three. It, seriously, the egos were incredible there. I mean, really, people, we, we put you on TV, we did this for you, we did that. And I said, well, this is the whole uh, team at PWI back then. You know, we chose the top 10 or whatever, the PWI 500, whenever that was. But with the announcers, the only reason we did it once was because the top three people, their egos were so huge, they were upset at me personally for that. That's why we never did it again. Yeah, maybe I'll kind of take that as an uh, off, offhanded compliment in the difference. I was just thrilled to be on the list. And I literally still have that page from from the magazine and oh, and i guess yeah. uh you know talking about kind of the the not seedier side but unfortunate side of wrestling that people that were on the list would be upset because oh. you know they weren't ranked higher on a list they should have just been honored to be on that's why i couldn't that's why when i used to go into the dressing rooms and i did all the rankings for the top 10 for all the territories I couldn't, if I went to a dressing room and a guy like uh, Ivan Putsky would come over to me and say, hey, you got Chief J Strongbow number four and I'm number five, you know, I could beat him. And they, people would come in and there were guys that wouldn't talk to me until they saw their their, their name in there. You, you only upset me once. Do you know what that was? I did. Uh, I, I, I don't, but let me say right up front, I deeply apologize. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's okay, because I don't know if you had full, uh, if it was just you, but when you had Blackjack, Lanza, and Mulligan each take one hand and put a claw hold on either side of my face and rearrange my face, uh, that wasn't too kind. Uh, no, I, I had nothing to to do with that and as you know being part of it back then um, you know I, I, the interviews were never rehearsed we just kind of did it so that was uh you know how i felt about you really since the first time uh we met so believe me i i had no part of that or had i known about it i would have figured out a way to somehow give you a heads up no that's okay i'm glad they did it so uh uh, no, I'm, I'm just kind of pulling your leg there, Ken. You have always been great great to me, and I, I really appreciate it. And by the way, I do want to mention this. I love this show. That's another reason I'm honored to. And when you're talking about wrestling with history, uh, history is such a large part of – I started my career 50 years ago. 50 years ago. So there's a lot of history to talk about, and I'm so excited for you two to pick my brain on even if I wasn't at one of the shows, the talent involved in the shows and uh, how they treated um, uh, the other wrestlers, the press, et cetera. Yes, so much we can go into and, and get into this. Yeah, this well, you show... know, one of the things that Bruce and I talked about, Bill, that, you know, I'm very excited about, as I told Bruce, and I think you know from back in the day, well, first off, you know, in, in the heyday of, of wrestling, the glory years, you know, the mid-80s, early 90s, you know, there weren't any national cable stations or there weren't any national cable deals. So, you know, we were all focused on, you know, the territory, you know, that I was in or the wrestlers were focused on that territory, that the only, and there was no internet. So we, the only thing we really heard about what was happening in the other promotions was through 
the magazines, but, you know, none of us really had first-hand knowledge like today you can find, you know, every promotion, you know, on, on cable or, or the Internet at the drop of a heart, drop of a heartbeat. So, you know, you were one that, you know, back then you covered the AWA and you covered the NWA and oh, yeah. WCCW and WWF. So you've got... We were the internet before the internet, and you know, people always point to me that I covered it, but we had, uh, I worked with a bunch of great uh, teams, but I was the guy out front, and like I said, people like Vern Gagne, Jim Crockett, Joe Pettacino, uh, Ole Anderson, they all went out of their way to put me on TV, and back then I was like, oh, this is great, I'm on TV, but I also realized when I'd come back to the office, Mr. Weston, my boss, would say, so how did it go? And I tell him, and he says, well, these guys, of course, want to be in the magazine so they can get booked in New York. So, yeah, yeah. So You know, Bill, I mean, not, not to get way ahead of ourselves, you know, when you joined full-time in January, but let me ask you, how did you feel or interpret it when guys had such a big ego yeah, to the public it was a kayfabe era but still it was you know wrestling that they would get so upset that they weren't ranked higher in a a business that they didn't have very much to do with the outcome of, of their match or how they were being pushed or portrayed well, that's a great question. You know, we liked a lot of people who were like that because they they would cooperate with the magazines more so than the people who we were just giving the publicity to. They had a they had a reason that they wanted to be pushed and put in the magazine. So sometimes that was good, but on the other hand, sometimes they would say to another guy, "Hey, you don't want to." talk to Bill because he's not going to take care of you, you know, this type of thing. They play games that way. It was very difficult, but um, I think something you said struck a great chord with me that, you know, people tend to like me when they, when they meet me. And that's the, the natural way I put myself over to these people. I wasn't putting on a, a, a front of, Hey, you know, I'm acting like a nice guy. This is who I am. And uh, if they approached me and they were nice to me and I thought they deserved a push, I would bring that back to the magazine with me. We'd, we'd give them a push. But there are a lot of guys who were uh, um, who just didn't care about the magazines until they saw that they weren't really uh, a part of it. So it was difficult, Ken. It was, a, it was walking a fine line. You had to say the right thing to the right people all the time. It's funny, it was true in wrestling then, it's true in so many things today, that sometimes, you know, when people are in the forest, they can't see the trees, they kind of forget that nobody likes to do business with a grouch. <laughs> right. You know what? He just sounded like something Snooker would have said. You know something, brother? When you see the forest through the trees and then the mountain comes there and you jump, brother, it's beautiful. <laughs> you know, I have to... I, 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 I hope I at least made a little more sense than sometimes Jimmy did. <laughs> you did. You did. I have, to, I have to say this because, you know, I grew up as a wrestling fan. I, I just turned 40 this year. 
And I, for, for me to be able to do this show with you two and, and, I mean, I was, I was a, a super fan when I was a kid and uh, I, I don't watch the current product today as much as I did back then for sure. But I remember meeting Bill in, uh, in 2010, 2009, 2010, when I was doing my radio show. And, um, you know, I, I never, I did, I did a lot with the local sports people in Philadelphia and I never really got starstruck. And, my first uh, experience with Bill where I got to actually meet a wrestler was with Jimmy Snuka. All we right. Went, yes, of course. And um, we went to karaoke with Jimmy Snuka and his wife, Carol, who's a, a, just a, one of the kindest women I've ever met. And, and we went to that place uh, in the Philadelphia area. That was one of my first experiences. And then, Bill, as you know, I got to be very good friends with Jimmy and, um, and we used to do all the wrestling conventions, you and I, and, and yes. Namar and, and Albert, and we traveled together <laughs> and I was many times responsible for making sure that Jimmy got back to his plane on time. And I, I used to say to Carol in the middle of the night, as Jimmy was not cooperating and threatening to chop me in the throat uh, Carol, there's only so much that I can do, but I'm not willing to risk my life or uh, being able to speak again to get Jimmy to his plane, but I'll do my well, best. If you remember in my book is Wrestling Fixed. I didn't yep. know it was broken. There's a whole chapter. Yep. I'm not going to go into the whole story now. We'll do that on another uh, episode here uh, where Vince McMahon Sr. made me promise that I would bring Snooker back from Japan and Hawaii in one piece to make it to his big match against Bob Backlund yeah. at Madison Square Garden. And I almost blew it. We'll talk about that on another show. We will. Bill Apter, so awesome to have you uh, be here today and then be part of our show. And we will talk again in January. This show, for anybody that's new, we go in long form and we cover different years in professional wrestling, starting in 1983 for Ken and I, because that's when Ken started in the business. But with Bill joining the show, there's a few things that we might be able to tweak. 1842, as we... yeah. <laughs> we Lincoln, the new year. Hey, hey, Bill, I, I, I want to mention, and Bruce, too, when, when you talked about uh, – wrestling conventions bill and I, I he's a good friend of of the shows i know, know he's a good friend of yours uh bill and bruce as well bill if you didn't see it uh our good friend uh martin damato came home from the hospital today Very good. well that's great i've been in the uh uh the diverticulitis uh, uh family as well and that's what brock lesnar was out with for such a long time my my dad uh, when he was alive, he had that regularly. So, uh, yeah, Marty, I'm glad uh, glad you're back uh, home. And uh, just don't eat poppy seeds and popcorn and peanuts, and you should be okay. <laughs> Marty, blessings to the D'Amato family, and, and we can't wait until we get back uh, into action and we have some more live conventions. But it'll be good to have Marty back doing his Facebook thing and, and having some fun with the fans. By the way, but, Bruce, just as an idea, yeah. and I don't know, I know what the format is every week, but once in a while, if you want to take a, uh, a side trip where we can go down the list of the old magazine top tens that I came up with Absolutely. and part of the show talk about each guy. I yeah. think that would be great. 
No, I think that, and that was, that's where I was leading. So one of the things that we can do is get the fans involved and have you vote on different topics. We can go off track a little bit. We'll still do the year by year comparisons. We'll march forward, but I think every so often, maybe every other week, we'll take a journey off to the side and we'll do different topics that, uh, that are interesting to people. And we'll incorporate the magazines. We'll, we'll just do some different things and people can choose what they want to hear us talk about. I think right. And by the way, and, before and, I go, and, before and I go. Bill, uh, real quick to, to a- answer your question, the format is loose, very, very I loose. <laughs> I listen to the show. No, I, I know that. But uh, before I leave, I want to mention that uh, uh, I haven't been working for a magazine in about 12 years. And now I'm working for a, I'm doing a column for Inside the Ropes uh, Wrestling Magazine, uh, InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. And starting the fourth issue at the end of this month, the magazine will be available on the United States awesome. as well. Yeah. So. That's awesome. But I'm, I, I can't wait until we do this because this is my favorite thing in the whole world to do is sitting here with two dear friends and just talking about the business of professional wrestling. Especially the old stuff, the good stuff. And uh, Bill's also going to be really a full-time contributor to VOCNation.com. He's got the whole One Wrestling staff with him, and he will will be overhauling the website in the coming weeks and months, and uh, we're just happy to have Bill. With Brady Hicks, of course. Well, of course Brady Hicks is, is, uh, is, is... part of the team and uh brady and it has been running uh almost everything over the last what uh seven years uh, you know i was out for a while and uh it's just great to have such a good team uh and and we'll go over all the other great talent in well, brady Nation. has made me an apprentice and i'm very happy to be there <laughs> but we will uh, be just- not for nothing but somehow <laughs> Uh, Bill after an apprentice just doesn't fit in the same sentence. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Pro Wrestling Thank Illustrated, you. Brady Hicks. But yes. yes, there's a there's a great roster here. Everybody contributes, and uh, and we've built something very nice over the last ten years. So great to have Bill. We're going to take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get into some more of 1985, and we're going to go AWA this week as we cover Super Clash '85. This is Wait, can wrestling. I say it? Can I what? say it? Yeah, worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Radio Network. Thanks a lot, Bill. It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality, Bruce Wirt. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com. 
and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Back here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Radio Network. By the way, VOCNation.com is where you can go to get your favorite VOC Nation merchandise. Go, Actually, there's a, a, a URL that makes it very easy. If you go to VOCNationShirts.com, it takes you right to the page. You can get your VOC Nation t-shirt, Shelly Martinez t-shirt. You can get your uh, Big Ugly Brady Hicks t-shirt or our best-selling shirt right in time for the holidays. It probably won't arrive for the holidays. But it definitely get, won't arrive for the holidays. <laughs> you can get your very own Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt. It's in royal blue, great quality, and uh, it's from the folks at Pro Wrestling Tees. Go to VOCNationShirts.com. And, Ken, you have your your own version of that t-shirt. And uh, do you see it all over Minnesota where, where you're at? You know, the hometown boys got his own shirt back in the wrestling game, active, and uh, everybody's wearing the shirt in Minnesota these days, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, Bruce, that I'd go right to the term all over. <laughs> but I will say one thing, as thrilled and honored and as much as I'm looking forward to, to Bill after, you know, joining us on, on Wrestling With History, I, I, I'm also secretly a little happy it's not going to be till after the first of the year, because, you know, this year in 2020, I, uh, my shirt was able to beat back the, the challenge of, of Brady Hicks's t-shirt. And I know it's going to end the year as the, the top selling shirt on, uh, Vox nation, but boy, I know next year, once they come out with a legend shirt, like Bill after in Vox nation, I, you know, I got no chance of competing with him. So at least, you know, I'll, I'll be able to end up uh, finishing 2020 as the top-selling Vox Nation T-shirt, you know. So I, I'm, I'm glad I'll have that one year because yeah. once Bill joins, you know, it's over. Well, and, and then Brady <laughs> has no chance, no chance to ever be on top again. So You can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brady, I'm sorry, but Brady, Bruce, you remember when, when – Brady said there was no way, he, you know, that uh, he wasn't going to sell more T-shirts than I was, even though, uh, you know, he had almost a six-month head start. We beat him. We beat him. But, we you know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll both be a distant second to the legend Bill After. Speaking of Brady, I do want to remind everybody the other fantastic programming on the VOC Nation radio network feed. So if you subscribe to VOC Nation on any of your favorite podcast apps, so Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you like to get your podcast. By the way, we're on iHeartRadio now, which is a major, major site. iHeartRadio is added VOC Nation, so you can listen there as well. But uh, all of the shows are wonderful, including Brady Hicks in the room on Tuesdays with Brady and Kathy Fitzpatrick and uh, the former WCW star, The Maestro. You have Shelly Martinez with Shelly Live on Wednesday. On Thursday, you have WCW Retro with The Stro with The Maestro. 
On Friday, you have Briscoe and Big Ace with Wes Briscoe and also Sassy Steffi with uh, Talking Sass, and she's had some wonderful guests. So subscribe to VOC Nation, and besides Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick, Bill Apter, and Lonely Old Me, you'll get all of the great VOC Nation talent. And Ken, I'm negotiating uh, personally, uh, and I don't have to, I guess, kayfabe, but uh, a lot of people already know that I, uh, I've bankrolled this site for uh, 10 years now. And even when I was away, I was, I was still behind the scenes, uh, helping this thing go negotiating with a major wrestling personality to do a show on VOC nation. So very excited about that. You'll have to wait until next week. I have my call to hopefully close the deal tomorrow. And we could tell the people next week, Ken. Uh, and I know who it is, and that comes to fruition. That'll be big news. But uh, So Wrestling with History and Vogue Nation is now available on iHeartRadio as well? Yeah, iHeartRadio. So that's another... And, and you forgot the most important part. It's free. Totally free. Totally free. So it doesn't Jeez, matter. Wait, wait, wait to bury the lead. We're now, it's free, and we're on iHeartRadio as well. Doesn't matter if the pandemic has affected your employment. If you're stuck at home, you can watch, or I'm sorry, you can listen to VOC Nation programming. And Ken, this week, you and I are uh, talking uh, 1985. We started that last week. And I thought we haven't come back to the AWA in a while. We've been doing a very heavy in WWE, WWF. We spent some time in the NWA with Starcade. But 1985 was one of the last big years for the AWA. And, of course, that was because Ken Resnick, it was his last year there. And uh, the big show for AWA in 85 was Super Clash 85 Night of Champions. And it was a response from the AWA to WrestleMania. And it was held in Chicago, Illinois at Comiskey Park. You had 20,000 people there, although they announced the crowd at 25. I think the official attendance was 20,347. And Night of Champions was a co-promotional effort. It was part of that co-promotional response to the WWF by AWA, the NWA, and World Class Championship Wrestling. And the adventure was called Pro Wrestling USA. We, we teased this last week that we we're going to talk more about Pro Wrestling USA. So, Ken, tell us how Super Clash 85 came to be. Was this Vern sitting back watching WrestleMania happen and saying, hmm, we got to do something about this? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't answer per, per se that I'm certain had a lot to do with it, but you know, one of the other reasons, uh, besides you know being you know hometown, the the Twin Cities being such a huge AWA stronghold, uh, Chicago was a big big AWA market, and it was clear, you know, Vince was on you know targeting Chicago, which you know I think in the 80s was uh, the third largest market behind New York and Los Angeles. And I think it was also a way to just generate, you know, interest, a huge outdoor show, you know, bringing AWA and WA together. Yeah. And, and the card, I mean, just listen to the names on this card. Uh, Brad Riggins, Sherry Martell, who obviously was sensational Sherry, you had Scott Hall, 
Kurt Henning, who later on became Mr. Perfect, Kerry Von Erich, Ric Flair, the Road Warriors, Sergeant Slaughter, Rick Martell. So just major, major names, Magnum TA, major names all coming together. And we'll go through this card, Ken, and we'll, we'll kind of look at how the matches went down and what the card looked like and, and kind of talk through it. But give me a sense for this is September in Chicago, outdoor show. What's the atmosphere like, Ken Resnick, leading up to Super Clash? Was, there, was this an excitement? Uh, was the, the, were the boys backstage saying this is our chance to uh, one-up New York? Um, yeah, I, I don't think it, it, it was ever the mindset of, of trying to, you know, one up New York for a lot of the, the guys and certainly, you know, the NWA and 20,000 people and, you know, being honest, uh, you know, uh, 20,000 people, you know, which they had in 86 for wrestle rock, 20,000 people in Minneapolis, 20,000 people in Chicago is bigger. And I think the mindset was for a lot of them, this was the biggest, you know, national exposure. You know, I mean, it was being covered uh, by all the magazines and it was more, this is our chance to shine, you know, with all the media focus on this show outdoors in Chicago I I think the focus of the guys was just, you know, this is the time I can show how good I can be in this business under a, a huge spotlight. And for a lot of them, the biggest spotlight, you know, they had been under up until that point. And certainly for the AWA, I mean, you know, this was 85. Wrestle Rock wasn't until uh, April 86. For most of them, this was the largest you know, live crowd they had ever performed in front of. Like the AWA, you know, uh, the home arena was the St. Paul Civic Center. That held, uh, you know, 18,000. But, you know, I think the Civic Center was probably the largest arena uh, in the AWA. Winnipeg Arena was about 12,000. Uh, Brown County Arena, you know, was about nine to to eleven. Uh, but again, it it was the largest venue in the largest market in front of the largest crowd. And it was a big show with three promotions coming together again. Uh, build Super Clash, Night of Champions. And uh, there was a, a live gate. Now, this is uh, somewhat, I, I think this is part of the, the downfall of, of this whole Pro Wrestling USA because uh, the gate was disputed between the promoters. Vern Gagne and Jim Crockett disputed the live gate. Crockett claimed that there was 288,000 in ticket sales and Gagne claimed that it was 200,000. Did you ever hear anything about that money dispute and, and that causing any kind of... Uh, of a rift in the pro wrestling USA um, uh, leadership? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, Having been in the AWA uh, around uh, the Ganyas, any dispute about the house uh, for that 
Comiskey Park show was not the first disputed gate that had been talked about in the AWA. They, they did not need a joint promotion to have disputed, questionable gate receipts. <laughs> was that a thing? I, I mean, was that a big part of territory wrestling? Where I mean, I, I remember... And it's a shame because so many people, we've lost so many people in the, the 10 years uh, that I've been doing this. And I, I was much more active in conventions of uh, 2010 to maybe 13 or 14. And wrestlers mistrust promoters and they mistrust vendors. And they always think they're going to get screwed. And does that come from promoters uh, trying to screw over wrestlers with uh, false numbers at the gates. Did that happen a lot back in, in these days? Well, I, I, I think you could say that that mistrust was a well-earned mistrust. <laughs> and so is that a reputation that Vern had? Was, uh, uh, to, to um, manipulating? Yeah, whether it was the gate, but um, there was a bit of a earned reputation as sometimes payoffs that turned out to be less than uh, the talent might have thought they were going to be. But you know, the funny thing is, is you hear it on the other side too. Like you hear the term, like I hear people calling Tony Khan from a, from AEW, a money Mark. And they say that all these wrestlers know that he's got money and they're going to bleed him dry. And, and they're going to, you know, basically help their friends get booked, get on TV, make a lot of money. And then well, once he's done, they'll, they'll, you know, go back to Vince or, or, try to latch on to somebody else so it can work both ways right their wrestlers are known to take advantage of promoters when they they see some dollar signs right well you know i understand bruce uh you know it was totally different back then as it is today i mean today most wrestlers you know the the big negotiation comes from a guaranteed contract you know in those days there was no guaranteed contracts you know, you got supposedly a, a certain percentage of the payoffs. So it, it, it it's the same, but it's different. You know, back then, wrestlers would be upset thinking, you know, looking at the crowd, they should have gotten the bigger payoff, where today the, the criticism on the wrestlers is because they negotiate a bigger guaranteed contract. So, you know, it, it's kind of apples to oranges but it's the same time it's it's the same fruit from a tree um same idea same mentality same same idea and yeah it it's let's be fair i mean it's not unique to to the the wrestling business but you know people that you know, all over the country work on commissions, oftentimes think their commission may be shorter than, than it should be. But um, the the problem was, you know, back then you were, had to take the promoter's word for what the actual gate receipts were, what the actual expenses were. And, you know, like I said, it was kind of a, a, a well-earned, uh, you know, distrust. Uh, 
and you know the the talent would kind of you know when they you know looked out uh, at the crowd uh, behind the curtain they would do the eye test and somehow uh and then you know it wasn't all promoters fault but sometimes the talent would look out and say wow there's there's over 10,000 people here and you know there may have in reality been 8,000 people so uh everybody kind of looked at it uh through different lens, I guess would be the best way to put it. All right. So Ken, what was your role at this super clash 85? So uh, I'm not sure what was the, was there any TV or was this, uh, this is before the days of pay-per-view was the closed circuit TV. And what did killer Ken do for this particular show? Um, there, there, there wasn't, you know, pay-per-view TV or, you know, live TV per se, but, uh, we did a lot of pre and post match interviews. I, I did uh, at ringside, and a lot of times there was a couple cameras where I think you know uh, the two promotions may have had their own people recording it. And you know how they use the interviews on on their TV w- was different, but a lot of it, you know, the the matches were being taped because there would be highlights of the matches shown within the normal promotions you know weekly television show and oftentimes they would air you know either pre or post-match interviews uh especially you know if the the talent from their promotion went over in the match yeah and generally back in those days uh these kind of events weren't necessarily they weren't they weren't made for TV, if, if you know what I'm saying, because the promoters would use, basically they use TV to get people to the houses and something like this, uh, Vern's mindset was, I don't want to put this on TV because then people won't have a reason to come and fill up these stadiums. Right. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, there wasn't, uh, and again, you know, the, the, as you mentioned, the, the, TV matches were most always, you know, in studio matches. I mean, uh, in the AWA, we did, you know, our matches in a, a TV studio that, you know, you might get a, you know, 150 people, you know, at the studio matches. So uh, it was totally different. Where in those days, all the TV, you know, it was before really pay per view. Just been the first WrestleMania that the TV was basically an infomercial to drive tickets for the house show. And there was nothing more than the house show. So, you know, they certainly were not going to put this on TV. I mean, you know, even today and all the pro sports leagues deal with it, the, the television revenue today is so great that if they, you know, some people stay home to watch the game on TV, that's okay. Cause the TV revenue is huge. Well, that wasn't the case, you know, back in those days. So they would so show snippets of house shows, you know, during the promotional TV. But even those snippets were designed to drive sales for a rematch or to show what happened, uh, you know, to to set up a turn or another angle. But yeah, the the mindset back then uh, of you know everyone, and I mean, you know, other than the WrestleMania pay per view, even Vince's TV. Well, uh, I think right about right around eighty five was when they made the chain eighty four eighty five from Allentown to Poughkeepsie, but they didn't put 
you know, major house shows on TV. Uh, in fact, early on, I think Vern showed more snippets of house shows from the St. Paul Civic Center and snippets of other house shows in other markets than really Vince did. Yeah, well, I was going to, I was, <laughs> so part of what you said about, you know, sports teams, uh, not necessarily, you know, caring about the house. I was going to say, don't tell that to major league baseball owners because uh, every other league seems to be able to survive and pay their players during the pandemic, but baseball owners still act like they get all their money from ticket revenue at the games. Well, I mean, I was kind of thinking it wasn't all too long ago that, you know, if a game wasn't sold out in the end, if a home game wasn't sold out, I think in the NFL, 72 hours before kickoff, it was blacked out in that market. I'm sure it probably happened in Philadelphia. It certainly happened here with the Vikings that not too many years ago that sometimes, you know, a, a, a food market or a bank just to get publicity, you know, would suddenly, you know, 72 hours and 15 minutes before the blackout was due, you know, would announce that, uh, you know, some private corporation uh, has bought the last, you know, 3,400 tickets so the game can be shown on television. But, I mean, today it's like, yeah, they want all the ticket revenue they can, but it's they're not going to black anything out because the TV revenue far outseeds the, the, the tickets. Yeah, sales. yeah for, for sure. Uh, again, just don't tell that to Major League Baseball owners. But don't ask them to open their books either. <laughs> well, I mean, Major League B, you know, they're, they're pretty upfront that, you know, uh, they want all the, the ticket sales. But, you know, uh, the only reason this season uh, was resumed was for the TV revenue. <laughs> And they still they still complain. All right, let's get into this card, Ken. Uh, while we have some time here today, so the I mean, the, just the names are just amazing. And the, the opening match is uh, Steve Regal, not that Steve Regal, so not who you know as uh, William Regal in the WWE. This defended, was Mr. Electricity. Yes, Steve Regal defended the light heavyweight championship of the world against Brad Riggins. Riggins hit the atomic drop and covered him for the pinfall, but Jimmy Garvin distracted the referee, allowing Regal to roll up Riggins and grab the tights for leverage to retain the title. Ken, what do you remember? Not so much about Steve Regal, but Brad Riggins. I mean, he was an Olympian, and he was a pretty big name in the AWA for a while. Well, the, the thing I remember most about that match when, when they announced it, I thought... You know, they, the, in the first match, there goes the credibility for the night because Brad Rangans was about as much a light heavyweight. <laughs> right. you know, I mean, it's like, what? I mean, it was like, you know, Brad was a great guy, you know, you know just a super, super, you know, individual and, and person. I mean, uh, as tough as they come, uh, had it not been for the boycott, there's no question in my mind Brad would have been the Olympic gold medal winner. And it was like, okay, well, we'll put this on because, you know, we want Brad there and get him a payday. But it was like, wait a minute, 
Brad Reagan's for the light heavyweight championship? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, he's six foot two sixty uh, as a yeah. light heavyweight against Steve Regal, six foot. He he outweighed the heavyweight champion, but they were putting him up for the light heavyweight title. And, and these two guys, these two guys would be the biggest guys in the AEW right now. No, no offense, no offense. Uh, intended there but that's so that's the opening match the next you got candy divine against sherry martell who would go on to be one of the biggest women stars in the business as sensational sherry in the wwe and uh sherry hits a clothesline diving splash on divine to win the world women's championship ken did you have any interaction with a very young sherry martell Oh, uh, very much so. Uh, Sherry lived uh, in an apartment complex about 15 minutes from where I did. And when she first came up here, we just became friends. Uh, and every other Tuesday night, there was a place called Nelson's Drive-In that had a, just a phenomenal special on Tuesday nights on their chopped sirloin steak dinner. And every other Tuesday, Sherry and I w would meet there and uh, go to dinner. And she loved it because she would always save some of the chopped sirloin to take it back to her, her German shepherd. Uh, Sherry w was one of my favorite people, uh, just as nice as could be. Uh, and she was one tough, terrific wrestler. Uh, she and Candy Divine. Uh, certainly had some some great great matches. Uh, they went around the horn. They had a huge match uh, and a return match and kind of a cat fight during an interview in Winnipeg. Uh, but but Cherry was was great and uh, uh, had a, a great story. I think you and I, I I think I've talked about it before. Uh, Sherry was wrestling Candy Divine in Winnipeg uh, and the referee was Marty Miller and for some reason and I think it was a bit of a shoot Sherry just didn't like Marty uh, and you know back in those days remember how they used to pat down the wrestlers supposedly check the trunks check the yeah. bottom of their boots yeah uh, and <clears throat> Sherry would not let Marty pat her down and I was calling the match at ringside with Nick Bockwinkel, Sherry would not let Marty pat her down. And Marty, you know, was threatening that, you know, hey, I'm going to disqualify you. I'll throw the match out if you don't let me. So Sherry suddenly started screaming at me, and I had headsets on. I couldn't understand what she was saying. So she climbed out of the ring, climbed over on top of our broadcast table, picked me up to, and let me pat her down. Uh, and Nick Bockwinkel was just, just in hysterics. Uh, so Sherry was terrific. Um, you know, and they, uh, she and Candy Devine had, had some great matches together. And this is back before, I mean, women's wrestling was an attraction and really, I mean, you had the fabulous Moolah, you had maybe Mae Young, but, but Mae Young, uh, was more of a, of a uh, figure more of a well-known figure later. I mean, I guess very early and very late in her life, but Sherry was just, just oozed personality. She oozed charisma. And Ken, I, I'm guessing that even back then you had to know that Sherry was going to be something more than just uh, the once in a while attraction. 
Oh, I mean, there there was no <clears throat> no question. I mean, that's why they moved here, moved her to to Minneapolis. And you know, it was interesting, as you said, this was really before you know women's wrestling, you know, kind of exploded. But if you think about it, during my time in the AWA, I mean, Sherry Martell and Medusa, both as nice as could be, you know, I, I generally, uh, genuinely was thrilled the friendship I had, you know, away from the the arena with with both of them. But they in the ring, they kind of brought a whole new ferocity to women's wrestling. I mean, they were as tough as could be, uh, and they would pick you up and throw you down. Yeah, uh, very, very different product today versus yesterday, right? Very much so. All right, sadly Mr. so. Yeah, very sadly so, as we talk about every week here on this show. Mil Mascaris, uh, forgive me, Mil Mascaris would then uh, defend the IWA World Heavyweight Championship against Buddy Roberts. So there you go. <laughs> Brad Riggins is a light heavyweight. Uh, Mill Mascaris is a heavyweight. Uh, and Buddy Roberts, of course, a, a uh, big member of the fabulous Freebirds. Uh, what do you remember about Buddy Roberts? And I mean, Mill, Mas- Mill Mascaris was uh, one of the greatest of all time. And, and uh, you know, he was the most prominent uh, Mexican wrestler in the States uh, for a long time. And, uh, I guess the the second biggest name, other than uh, Rey Mysterio at the time that Mysterio broke into the business. Oh yeah, he he was a big name. Uh, that was one of those matches. You know, they they brought Mill in. Uh, certainly, there was you know big uh, Latino population in, in and around Chicago, and I think that was one of the reasons. But it was kind of one of those just you know ice cold matches. There was there was no heat or angle or storyline uh you know buddy you know was a great singles wrestler as was mill but buddy was far more well known and involved as one of the fabulous freebirds so you know great match but there wasn't you know a big storyline behind it so you have a two six-man tags that this is where it says to me that everybody just wants to be a part of this card. So the first one is uh, Greg Gagne, Scott Hall, Kurt Henning against Ray Stevens, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco. And then another six-man tag is uh, yeah, there's three Japanese guys, uh, Tenru, Baba, and Saruta. Uh, against Harley Race, Bill Irwin, and Scott Irwin. Obviously, there's not probably much of uh, of storylines behind these matches. These are just matches uh, to be on the card. But first one, uh, Greg Gagne, of course, we've talked about before. He's the son of Vern and over for obviously obvious reasons. But young Scott Hall and a young Kurt Henning, uh, what do you remember about those guys back in that time? Was uh, Was Scott Hall somebody that you could tell was going to go on to do great, great things. And, and Kurt being the, the son of Larry, the ax, did you know that he had the uh, quote unquote it factor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Kurt was one of those, you know, he, he was just starting out in the business, but literally, you know, and I got to see an awful lot of them. Kurt was a kind every single match. He got a little bit, better 
I mean, he you just knew it. He he had the size, you know, he he just was so invested into getting better. And Kurt would want he would talk to me about his interviews, doing interviews. He would he was just soaking it up and he was so dedicated. There there was no question. And Scott Hall came up from Kansas City. I mean, he had the height, he had the body, he had the looks. Uh, and when they put him w- with, you know, Kurt, uh, there was no question, you know, they were going to be bound uh, for greatness. And, I mean, you know, just think about it. You've got uh, Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens. I mean, talk about some of the all-time greats you know, and the soon-to-be future all-time greats in the ring. Uh, and I just remember, you know, sitting there at ringside thinking to myself, boy, even then, look at the talent in this ring. And, you know, Greg Gagne, you know, gets, uh, I would say, in a lot of ways, shortchanged. You know, he just, he physically wasn't that imposing But Greg was well-trained, and Greg was a very good worker. He just, you know, he was about 185, 190 pounds, just didn't have a big frame. But Greg was an awfully good worker in the ring. I mean, just the the talent and and the ability. uh, And as you say, in one of the early six-man matches, and that was a case where uh, I think all the, you know, the, the Ganyas, Jared, you know, everybody was smart enough to know that in Chicago, in Comiskey, 20-some thousand people, you know, anybody from our territory that's not going to be on this card is going to be awfully put off and probably not stick around. And then when you talk about, and then the sixth man was Larry Zabisco. I mean, just look at the talent uh, for, from Top to bottom, I mean, that show was stacked. Yeah, another six-man uh, with the Russians against uh, the Crusher, Dick the Bruiser, and, and Dick the Bruiser, and Baron Von Raschke. So you look at that, <clears throat> Crusher Khrushchev, who we all know as Barry Darso, Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff uh, defending the NWA World Six-Man Championship against Crusher, Dick the Bruiser, and Baron Von Raschke. And this is one of those interpromotional matches where a little bit of a schmoz finish as uh, Baron initially made Ivan submit to the claw, but the referee didn't see the submission as he was preventing the others from interfering. And then Nikita hit Baron with the foreign object and Ivan pinned him to retain the titles. But another six man match. And again, just look at the talent on both sides of that equation. So nine people in three six man matches just to get on this huge card. And it it, kind of tells you, and I know we're getting kind of, you know, even running a little longer, uh, but the fact you've already had in the first few matches a couple of, you know, outside interference and referee distractions, it was like, you know, big show, but boy, we don't really want to beat anybody here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, that's, and, and again, that's the, that was the flaw of Pro Wrestling USA, as we talked about before. Yep. The interpromotional stuff, nobody wanted to, to take the fall. Certainly not like like it is today with 50-50 booking. Here's an interesting thing, Ken. Uh, Jerry Blackwell and Kamala 
And the manager of Kamala was somebody who we had on this very show, one of your best friends in life and in wrestling, the Sheik, Adnan Al Casey, managing Kamala. Yeah, uh, and again, it was kind of like they just kind of, you know, threw some stuff together. I mean, two, you know, big guys, but again, no real backstory between, uh, you know, Jerry Blackwell and, and Kamala. And, you know, as I've said, you know, one of the big differences, you know, when Vince first conceived of this huge, you know, pay-per-view WrestleMania, he was kind of, you know, he knew what he wanted the matches to be. So, you know, three, four months before he was starting to build storylines and angles leading up to it. And the problem here was we got to do this and the variety, most of the matches, great talent, but not storylines where the fans had really become, you know, invested right. in that, that they came to, to see the, the talent more than the outcome of the match. Yeah. These are just matches being put together for the sake of having matches and generating lots of money with big names at a big arena. Absolutely. Another one of those schmoz finishes, uh, the Road Warriors defended the tag team championship against the Freebirds. And of course, the Freebirds, the Freebirds initially won, but the uh, the win was reversed due to the illegal man, uh, Michael Hayes, being involved. So uh, no surprise there as Hawk and Animal very rarely did did jobs back in those days. Sergeant Slaughter well, defended... You, you yeah, you certainly didn't want to beat the Road Warriors in Chicago. I mean, that's where, you know, they hailed from Chicago. Uh, and I think other than the fact they were local to Minneapolis, the, the biggest pops are from the crowds when the Road Warriors came out in St. Paul or when they came out in Chicago. So you you definitely were not going to beat them in Chicago. But, Ken, that's, I guess, my point. The Road Warriors in Chicago. Now, I guess, you know, this is the Freebirds as well, who, who were more over, I guess, in Dallas at the time. But why not have the Road Warriors go over clean and make the crowd go home happy instead of doing this, this wacky finish where uh, it ends up being a DQ and uh, you're in Chicago in front of 20,000 people. Why not have the Road Warriors come out and and win in a clean fashion? Maybe they don't dominate them. Maybe they they uh, something something happens to make the Freebirds look good as well. But why not take advantage of that? So twenty thousand people say, "Man, I want to come back and see those guys again." Well, part of the reason, remember, the Road Warriors were were going to Japan. They were wrestling for a lot of other territories. So they were not full-time in the AWA, and the Freebirds have been wrestling, you know, quite a bit in the AWA. So when the Road Warriors were, you know, doing a Japan tour or working for another promotion, the Freebirds were kind of the, the top, you know, heel team in the AWA. So it was a little bit of the, the 50-50 booking you, we talk about today in that, you know, we're not going to have the Road Warriors around all the time, so we're really going to be pushing the fabulous Freebirds. So we don't want to really beat them outright uh, in front of 20,000 people. That makes a lot of sense. Well, see that that's why you're on this show and I'm just <laughs> guiding the pace because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go, go, go that far, but I, I know we're, we're getting, uh, you know, 
overtime and we've gone a little long, so maybe this would be the good time where we were able to kind of pinpoint, you know, a, a good reasoning for the fans. Well, here's uh, so so you have there's two other things I wanted to get to, and uh, and then we'll wrap it up. So Sergeant Slaughter defending America's championship against Boris Zukov, and the the thing here, and because we I, I think we've we've talked a lot about Sergeant Slaughter, so we don't have to do it now. But America's championship, and I'm looking at some of these other titles. There's there's almost a title in every match. Are these titles just made for an event like this so they can have so they can have a championship match? I mean, I can't imagine that America's championship was regularly defended. Well, part part of the reason was, you know, if you were doing house shows somewhere, you know, if, if your heavyweight champion, you know, was not going to be in the main event, there wasn't going to be a title defense. Remember. Back then, titles changed hands at house shows. You know, there wasn't, you know, the big pay-per-views to anywhere near what they are today. So the house shows were kind of the culmination. So even in a smaller market, say if, if Nick Bockwinkle was not going to be there defending the AWA Heavyweight Championship, you could have a title match in the main event. And I think that was one of the reasons. And plus the fact that, you know, when they brought... Sarge over from WWF into Pro Wrestling USA. Uh, I'm sure part of the negotiations were, hey, we're going to give you a belt. Uh, so I think it, it, it was twofold to enable, in order to have championship matches and some smaller market house shows and also placate, you know, the talent in that you're going to be one of our champions and have the belt. Even if it was a championship that was only defended one time. So you have the best match of the night, Ric Flair defending the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Magnum TA. And of course, this is the best match because it's two NWA guys that worked with each other before. And, uh, and Flair uh, beats uh, Magnum with, uh, with a uh, tight grab to retain the title. And the main event of the evening, Rick Martell... Uh, defended the World Heavyweight Championship, the AWA Championship, against Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen, a uh, brute, works stiff, but but Rick Martell can, and and we can end on Rick Martell. This is the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Went on to do some decent things in the WWF, but never quite the uh, the stardom that he had in the AWA. What happened? Why didn't Vince see more? In Rick Martel, why was he just? Um, I mean, not that that the model run was was terrible, but definitely a mid card guy. Uh, this is just my supposition, kind of based on a little history, that when Vince would bring someone over that had established a big name in another territory, and kind of wasn't. A, a WWF character creation, Vince would really only allow them to go so far. And it, it really wasn't until Kurt Henning 
left the AWA to the, for the WWF and became, you know, the great international champion. And I mean, Kurt was just such an amazing talent, but Rick Martel was exactly, you know, was just as good and had the, the, the same sort of tremendous talent. I think part of it was psychologically, if Vince brought you over, you were only going to get so much of a push. And, you know, now it's, it's different, but if you think about it, Kurt was really the first one and still the only one for quite a while that came over from another territory, uh, that got the extreme push after Kurt, uh, really the next one was kind of when they brought Lex Luger in and tried to turn him into a baby face and, and that didn't go so well. But I, I think that was, uh, you know, part of the reason because Rick was such a nice guy, such a great talent. Uh, I mean, to, to this day, you know, when I talk about some of the greatest matches, I, I saw Rick Martell do a 60 minute Broadway, uh, with Harley race at the old Keel auditorium. I mean, one of the great matches, you know, I've ever seen. Uh, and so I think that was part of it. One of the most famous cases is, is Dusty Rhodes. I mean, Dusty was the, one of the mega stars of the NWA. And then he comes over and has a couple iconic matches, but, but generally a joke of a character uh, in polka dots and, um, and just being silly. And, and Ric Flair, I think Ric Flair's run in the WWF, even though he, he had the title and he, he wrestled Randy Savage for the title. I mean, not headlining a WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan is, is something that I think, I, I don't know. I mean, somebody's got to regret that, that, that decision to not go Hulk and flair at WrestleMania seven. I know that Vince, uh, I've heard that Vince has said that they weren't drawing well in the houses and Vince didn't think flair's uh, drawing power was that strong outside of this, the Southern territories, but I think that so many people would have tuned in for a Hogan Flair match on pay-per-view. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree, but, um, um, I, I think a lot of it was, you know, um, Vince saying, you know, this is, you know, my territory. And, uh, there's, uh, it's like I've said, Vince had two rules. Rule number one, Vince is always right. Rule number two, if you think Vince might be wrong, see rule number one. There you go. All right. That wraps it up. Uh, 1985, uh, at least this part of 1985, Super Clash 85. Next week, we'll talk more about the lead-up to WrestleMania and the WWF, and that'll be our last show before we take a little holiday break. So join us next uh, Wednesday. Uh, We drop on the day before Christmas Eve, December 23rd. We'll take off the week after that, and we'll come back with Bill Apter joining the fold uh, in uh, the first Wednesday in January. Remember to follow the show on Twitter. It's at ResnickVOCPod. So uh, Ken Resnick and me, the voice of choice, at ResnickVOCPod on Twitter. And uh, we will do some creative things uh, to get you involved in some of the topics as we cross over uh, into 2021 with Bill after joining joining the fold of the show. Remember to, to uh, follow VOC Nation as well, at VOC Nation, and subscribe to all the great VOC Nation radio network programming by finding VOC Nation radio network on your favorite 
podcast app. That'll do it for today. For Killer Ken Resnick, I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. We'll see you next Wednesday right here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Radio Right here is the future of wrestling.